This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. On Monday, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Lakewood baker who, on religious grounds, wouldn't make a custom wedding cake for a gay couple. The court's decision steered away from the larger question of whether a business can refuse to serve a gay couple for religious reasons. But the ruling did admonish government officials who might dismiss people with religious convictions. And today, we're going to get two Christian perspectives on this. Jeff Hunt is back with us. He directs the Centennial Institute, a think tank at Colorado Christian University. He also has a Master's of Divinity. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Ryan. And Miguel de la Torre is a professor of social ethics at the Iliff School of Theology in Denver. He's also an ordained Southern Baptist minister. And Miguel, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So Monday's Supreme Court ruling was indeed a stinging criticism of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which years ago now sided with the gay couple under Colorado's anti-discrimination law. That law, we should say, remains unchanged. But in the high court's opinion, Justice Kennedy blasted this commission for its hostility towards Jack Phillips' faith. He's the baker. And Kennedy singled out this comment from 2013 by former Commissioner Diane Rice. Let's listen closely. Freedom of religion and religion has been used to justify all kinds of discrimination throughout history, whether it be slavery, whether it be the Holocaust, whether it be, I mean, we, we can list hundreds of situations where freedom of religion has been used um, to justify discrimination. And to me, it is one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use to, to um, use their religion to hurt others. So if you had any trouble hearing that freedom of religion and religion has been used to justify all kinds of discrimination, that's the gist. And the court took great exception to that kind of comment, especially from the member of this public body. And yet I imagine others will find some truth in the idea that religion has been used to discriminate. So I want each of your thoughts on that remark, that characterization of faith, which proved so pivotal in this case. Jeff. Sure. Well, I'll read directly from Justice Kennedy's uh, statement here. He said, this sentiment is inappropriate for a commission charged with the solemn responsibility of fair and neutral enforcement of Colorado's anti-discrimination law, a law that protects discrimination on the basis of religion as well as sexual orientation. Yeah, I think that's critical. So the anti-discrimination law uh, was often focused on as it protected same-sex couples. It also protects people of faith. That's exactly right. And what Justice Kennedy and what the opinions are saying, the majority opinion, even from uh, Justice Kagan, who's an Obama appointee to the court, said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was way out of bounds in determining the validity of someone's religious beliefs. You do not have that role in government to determine the validity or the sincerity of someone's religious beliefs. Can I get to the heart of what that commissioner was saying and what you make of it, though? that faith has been used to discriminate. What do you what do you make of that remark? Doesn't matter. Does not matter. And they go through this in the in the Supreme Court uh, case over and over again the justices do. It does not matter. It is not the role of government to determine that. This was a case about whether or not Jack had violated the civil rights of the two folks that had come in to buy a wedding cake. It was not about whether or not Jack Phillips's beliefs were sincere or not. They have no role in doing doing that. And so it was it was 
confirmed over and over again in the in the piece put together by the Supreme Court here. Miguel, what do you make of the commissioner's remarks, which again were so central apparently to this decision, which was narrower than many, I think, expected? Well, first of all, I think it does matter. And secondly, I think the commissioner was 100% correct. Religion, specifically Eurocentric white Christianity, has been used in this nation's history um, to genocide the Indians using the book of Joshua, uh, Manifest Destiny, Destiny using the same book, slavery and Jim Crow laws based on Ephesians about slaves obey your masters. Even Jerry Fodwell Sr., um, when he went against the board, um, when he went against the Supreme Court decision of Brown versus the Board of Education, rally his troops against uh, using religion as the excuse for um, going against this um, landmark decision. So you disagree with the notion that this was not the territory for the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. You think that's fair for them to consider? What I find fascinating is that. When those who hold on to sincere religious belief use those belief in a hostile manner to deny individuals their basic human rights, when those individuals object, they're the ones who are being labeled as hostile. If this isn't gaslighting, I don't know what is. What do you make of that, Jeff Hunt? Well, I disagree with the doctor here, um, uh, Dr. De La Torre. Uh, It says here on page 17, the free exercise clause bars even subtle departures from neutrality on matters of religion. It hardly requires restating that government has no role in deciding or even suggesting whether the religious grounds for Phillips's conscience-based objection is legitimate or illegitimate. This comes from the very same person who wrote the opinion to legalize gay marriage nationally. So... um, We go through this opinion over and over again when it comes to the treatment of of the basic civil rights of the LGBT community. That wasn't at, at, at case in this. This was about how the government treated Jack Phillips. I do want to move the conversation forward, though, not just about the ruling, because the ruling also tried to move the conversation forward. Justice Kennedy, in his decision, said, listen, there are going to be other cases like this that pit Uh, the idea of public accommodation up against the idea of religious freedom. And that is for this court to decide in perhaps other cases. He said when that happens, it needs to be with a mind towards respecting those with religious convictions and respecting those who are in same-sex relationships, not burdening them to go to five different businesses to find someone who will serve them. So the decision had the future in mind. And that's what I want to talk to you both about. Uh, that tension between uh, religious conviction uh, and equal access, which, Miguel, you, you just raised there. Um, what do you make of the next steps in getting this squared in this country? Jeff Hunt? Right. Well, we're going to continue to have to have this debate. Uh, the reason why we supported Jack Phillips is because he did not deny the LGBT uh, couple 
uh, based upon public accommodation laws. He said he's happy to serve them. He would have sold them any other type of cake, uh, cookies, anything else that he offers. This was not a case based upon a public accommodation. That's why we supported Jack Phillips. We do believe that the LGBT community and anyone that's a member of the protected class in Colorado should be treated equally. They absolutely should be treated equally. And uh, and that's why the, we also didn't call for the end of the Civil Rights Commission. We think that there's a role for the Colorado Civil Rights Commission to make sure that protected classes are protected and that their civil rights are protected. And, you know, in, in cases where someone is outright denying somebody simply based upon their um, – and protected class, I think that there's a role for the Colorado Civil Rights Commission in that. But we can continue to have these debates moving forward. And, and to that idea of what you heard from Miguel, this idea of gaslighting, in other words, um, that when religion is used to discriminate, um, well, do you, do you think that it is? I mean, we haven't gotten to the heart of that comment from the commissioner, which I'd like you to do. No, I don't. But okay. I, I, I don't think at all that, that Jack Phillips was using religion to discriminate. I think he had deeply held sincere beliefs and he didn't want to be compelled to be, participate in activity that it was a violation of his conscience. But, but see, I, I could appreciate his sincere beliefs, but if those sincere beliefs are causing discrimination and oppression, then I really could care less how those beliefs are sincere if they are killing those who are on the underside of this present, um, you know, Eurocentric Christianity. If they're killing, what do you mean by that? Well, when you see young gay and lesbian individuals committing suicide because of this religious ideology, we're talking about death-dealing ideals. But I want to go back to something that was said before about we need to continue the debate. The fact that cisgender males are having this debate means that our gay um, brothers and sisters are still second-class citizens in where their rights are the ones that are being debated, as though we have this privilege to debate the basic human rights of others. So the fact that the debate is occurring just confirms that they are second-class citizens. And yet I know that there are some Christians who feel that they too are discriminated against. Sure. And uh, that that might extend to public forums like the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. So I'd like you, Jeff Hunt, to speak to that view. I want to note that there have been a number of other Supreme Court cases recently that have favored religion and religious freedom. I think of the Hobby Lobby decision in 2014 that said individuals do not lose those freedoms when they open a, a family business. Do you think in some ways that though the decision was narrow, that it might be precedent setting to some regard in the Masterpiece case as it relates to those who feel that their faith is attacked? Ryan, this was seismic in uh, in its long-term effects when it comes to religious freedom. I know a lot of people are saying it's a narrow case, but the, what this argued was that government has to treat people of faith equally. You cannot determine that someone's deeply held, sincerely held religious beliefs are invalid just because you simply disagree with them. You need to listen to them and you have to treat them equally. I think there are those who see religion as sometimes a shield for bigotry. What would you say to them? Well, I I disagree with that. I think in this case, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission is a sword by which it went after people of faith. Um, Listen, we've got, there's 19 states in the nation that have 
public accommodation laws around LGBT community. 19, we're in the midst of this conversation of how in a free society you can hold in tension religious freedom, but also the protected rights of the LGBT community so that they aren't treated like second-class citizens. We need to work through that as a nation. We need to work through that as a nation. Miguel, what does that look like, do you think? Is there common ground to be had here and where does it lie? Can you find common grounds between a view that is based on the discrimination of a group of people and those people demanding to be treated as human beings? Right now— well, That's a rhetorical question. Well, You're answering I, my question with a question. But I'm going to answer your question. Okay. Because right now in 28 states, it is, um, it is constitutionally correct to fire a person because of their gender, uh, their gender attraction to another individual's and to deny them housing. So people who are queer are being discriminated right now. That's not a theoretical question. That is actually happening. And yet we have heard from Jeff Hunt at the Centennial Institute that he sees a role for the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. How, how do you see it moving forward when it comes perhaps to same-sex couples, for instance? Is that where the common ground lies, Jeff? Well, we had a huge debate over this during the last legislative session. Indeed. And, and uh, we called for changes to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission that would have made it more fair and equitable to people of faith. Crisanta Duran and the House Democrats refused to engage in any of that. And they are stuck right now going through that whole process saying the Colorado Civil Rights Commission needs to stay the same, no changes whatsoever. And you have the U.S. Supreme Court in a 7-2 decision, including Obama-appointed justice saying that the that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission needs to change. There were some changes in the last legislative session, and there are certainly those who say they didn't go far enough. But to that co- question of common ground, how do you how do you answer that? You have a minute. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> you want me or, or Dr. Uh, you, you go, Jeff, and then Miguel. Sure. Well, this case was never about uh, denying public accommodation rights to the LGBT community. And Jack said that over and over again, that he's happy to serve them. This was about protecting his freedom of religion to participate in activities he didn't want to participate in. So you think in. artistry so, should be an exception in this? Oh, absolutely. And I'll give you the last word very quickly, Miguel. Basically, I should end with uh, probably um, the descending um, opinion of Ginsburg when she said, when a couple contracts a bakery for a wedding cake, the product that they are seeking is a cake celebrating their wedding, not a cake celebrating heterosexual weddings or same-sex weddings. And basically what this decision means is that bakeries can now discriminate because of a person's gender preference. Uh, I'll say that there are many who say it's much narrower than that. Uh, that, that there's certainly some fear that this might embolden. Uh, we will see what the reverberations are and continue to follow them. Jeff Hunt directs the Centennial Institute, a think tank at Colorado Christian University. He also has a master's in divinity. And Miguel de la Torre is a professor of social ethics at the Isle School of Theology and an ordained Southern Baptist minister. We've been talking about the U.S. Supreme Court and whether it's increasingly siding with the rights of those with strongly held religious views. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. It was early June 1968, and political activist Polly Baca was excited. My goodness, it was an incredible day. It was a beautiful day, and so we were all celebrating. Baca, who's from Colorado, was on Robert F. Kennedy's presidential campaign staff. It was the day of the crucial California primary, 
And she'd walked precincts in East Los Angeles getting out the Hispanic vote. That night, we found out that there were five precincts in East Los Angeles where every single Democrat registered to vote voted, and they all voted for Robert Kennedy. The day culminated in a victory party at L.A.'s Ambassador Hotel, where Senator Kennedy, 42 years old, acknowledged his staff. My thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank you Holly Baca was near the stage, and when the speech was over, she and Kennedy headed downstairs to where another crowd was waiting. Each took a separate path. Kennedy went through the hotel kitchen and no further. Baca made it to the second party where television sets were blaring. People said there were shots. Somebody's been shot. Somebody's been shot. The senator's been shot. It was that kind of atmosphere. And then it was just all, you know, panic. Baca, who went on to become a Colorado state senator, joined me to reflect on RFK's assassination 50 years ago. She says it led to a tangle of emotions. Immediately, I was scared. I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. You know, shock. Just, it couldn't happen again. It couldn't happen again. That is, earlier in the year, Martin Luther King had been shot. And then, of course, yes, John Kennedy. John Kennedy, his brother, must have been on your mind from 1963. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had actually worked in John Kennedy's campaign in 1960 as an intern, as a college intern. And then his brother died yeah. those years later. And and you say you, you were a bit scared as well. I mean, I imagine oh, it, it wasn't gosh. clear if the... It was, you know, because they didn't know who had done it. And there was a rumor that went around that, that it was a Mexican-American. And it was devastating. It was scary because I was working as the national deputy director for Viva Kennedy. And we had a lot of Spanish-speaking, monolingual Spanish-speaking farm workers there that had helped us. At the hotel? Yeah, at the hotel, celebrating. So to have this happen was absolutely devastating. So this was RFK's effort to reach the Latino community, Viva Kennedy, I'm guessing. Yes, uh-huh. yes. And there had been this rumor that it actually wound up being a Palestinian, Sirhan Sirhan, right? But there was a rumor that it was a Latino. Initially, the rumor was that it was Mexican-American. There was another rumor that it was uh, somehow a woman in a blue and white polka dot dress that was involved. I don't know where these rumors came from. It was floating all over the place. That night, there were five people shot in addition to the senator. Not something I think most people remember. I don't think they do. But it was of concern that night because our friend who had been shot in the head uh, was had been taken to the hospital. So we went to the hospital to visit him. Is that the same hospital where the senator was? I think all of them were taken to the same hospital. But the senator, by the time we got there, an internist, I believe, was the one that told us that that he had died, but they revived him and took him to another hospital. So we knew that the campaign was over. And the others who were shot, uh, not including the senator, of course, uh, survived. Yes, all of the five that had been shot, in addition to the senator, all of them survived. You knew the campaign was over. What did RFK represent to you? Hope. At that point in history, uh, there was a great deal of discrimination against Mexican-Americans. I had grown up in northern Colorado. Theaters were segregated. The churches were segregated. And Mexican-Americans were, were always on the sidelines. And there were signs like, no Mexicans or dogs allowed. The senator represented a time and an opportunity for us to become full partners in this society. Senator Robert Kennedy had an incredible heart. He was, you know, just concerned about 
ordinary human beings. There were two sides, I think, though, to Definitely. him. Like, <laughs> as I've read the history, you know, the, the side you're describing, but also... Um, he could kind be of very the, ruthless. Yeah, sort of the attack dog. He was. He was a pit bull when it came to issues that he was... For example, with the mafia. You know, he was absolutely determined to break up the mafia. He had been attorney out. general yes. under his brother. But before being attorney general, he was also he'd also worked for the Senate uh, Labor and Racketeers Committee and had gone after the, the racketeers in the labor movement in New York. So he was ruthless when it came to things he was absolutely certain were evil. Do you recall an interaction with him that you could relay? Oh, well, sure. <laughs> Many times. I guess... Uh, my my favorite was when uh, I first was getting on the campaign, and I was asked to staff a meeting that he was having at his home for, you know, leaders of the poor whites, poor blacks, poor uh, Latinos, poor Native Americans. These were the grassroots leaders of these different communities. And they all came, and we all were put in—it wasn't the kitchen, but it was off the kitchen— there was this long table and all these little Kennedy kids running around. They were the cutest things. And the senator and and Ted, uh, his brother, went around and said hello to everyone. And then they said a few words. And the senator, Bobby, ended his presentation by saying, you know, I'm going to win this campaign, but I want to owe my favors to you. But I can't do that unless you go out and help me win this campaign so I can owe my favors to you. You know, and, and, and he I wanted to be beholden so, to you, in other yes, words. Yes. And uh-huh. I felt that was so wise because he really inspired these grassroots leaders to go home and do just that. I think you know that Senator Kennedy's son, Bobby Kennedy Jr., said recently he doesn't believe Sirhan Sirhan, who's still in prison for the assassination, did it. I agree with him. Really? Oh, absolutely. My friend that we went to see that night that had a, been shot with a bullet in his head was Paul Schrade, who is the person behind the senator and said it wasn't Sharon Sharon, it was somebody else that, uh, that shot the senator from the back. And Paul himself saw this. Do you think Sirhan Sirhan was involved? I think Sirhan Sirhan definitely was involved. He's the one that shot the other five. And then there was an, a second shooter who was came from behind the senator and shot at close range. And that's what Paul saw. I mean, you'd think that this would have been one of the most high-profile yes. culprits at the time. Like, how, how is it? Do you, how do you square this idea that the second person, the second mysterious person was... Because that second person apparently just got away. Everybody pounced on Saran Saran. And the people that were shot, like Paul, ended up in the hospital. How is he going to be telling what he saw or what he knew? You know, and, and later he wasn't believed. Or I don't know whether he was believed or not, but they had captured Saran Saran. But they had not captured the other one. You were involved as well at the funeral in Arlington. Yes. It was an incredible evening. I actually was flown to New York for the funeral itself and then flown to D.C., to be part of security at Arlington Cemetery. At the interment. Yeah. And we waited all day for the train because the train was hours late, you know. and The train we, from New York. So when they got there, people lined up the walkway and lit candles. It was incredible. It was beautiful. And it was moving and it was spiritual and it was heartbreaking. When it was all over, we were able to go to the site itself. And I personally was able to uh, touch and kiss the casket and say my own goodbyes to the senator. 
What went through your mind at that moment? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. You know, it's something about losing uh, this person who you had so much faith in and that you knew would be so good for our country and to be so devastated that something like this could happen. For me, I gave up on politics. You know, I just said I didn't want to have anything more to do with politics at that point. I was just didn't don't talk to me about it. I called and gave notice on my apartment in D.C. I was leaving Washington. I just didn't want to have anything more to do with it. I was so, so devastated. But Polly Baga, history tells us you changed your mind eventually because <laughs> yeah. you become a state senator here in Colorado. You're very involved still in Democratic politics. Yes. What brings you back in? The problems are still there. You know, the passion that I had as a as a young woman to change the way that we treated one another it was first the way that Mexican-Americans were treated and later matured into how we treat one another. I, I wanted to do something to uh, change the laws so people would be treated equally. And so much of that is involved in our public policies. You know, you can change the laws, I found out later, that that one of the problems that we have today is we we didn't focus enough on changing people's hearts. So I'm still hopeful of changing people's hearts. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Polly Baca served in the Colorado Senate for 12 years. She worked on U.S. Senator Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign in 1968, and she was in the same hotel when he was assassinated 50 years ago. We are hearkening back to that time, not just through stories like hers, but also through music, asking local artists to cover songs from the era. Jennifer Jane Nicely and Erica Ryan recorded a folk standard in the CPR performance studio, Abraham, Martin, and John, originally by Dion. It is a tribute to four assassinated American icons, Abraham Lincoln, MLK, JFK, and, as we heard, RFK. Has anybody here seen my old friend John? Bobby 
This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.